When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. It is that time of the year. We at Rolling Stone have put up our list of the top albums of 2021, and we're going to go through some of that list today. I've got a few of my colleagues joining me. Jalisa Lopez and Manka Percante will be on in a bit. We're going to start with Rob Sheffield, who's going to take us through the top of the list, and then we're going to go through some of the other parts. Hey, Rob, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Holding up. Let's talk, not for the first time, about our number one album, which is Olivia Rodrigo's Sour. One of the many things I love about this album here at the top of the list is there are some things you might have predicted on this list. You know, you might have said, okay, if Adele releases an album, it'll probably be close to the top unless she screws up. But there's one thing you could not have predicted in 2020 is that this artist who no one knew except some uh, Disney Channel viewers knew as a singer before this January would make the number one album of the year. It just shows you never know what's coming, sometimes in a good way. So Olivia Rodrigo, Sour, when when did you realize that this was the top album of the year? Because I know it's your personal pick as well. It's such a jam-packed album. You know, she really did make a greatest hits album with her first album. She's got a, a more bangers on this album than, than most pop artists assemble in a career. And what's great is that, especially thinking of it in terms of 2021, is that, you know, it could not have been more perfectly timed as sort of a, a running live journal of the year, you know, because Driver's License arrives right at the beginning of January 2021, a week into the, the year. And all year long, she's just kept dropping these bombs as songs, and each one has sort of continued the story further. One thing I fought against personally on Twitter, but it seems like a losing battle, there was this thing, and there still is this thing about like, oh, this is for teens. And somehow, maybe they thought is it's like those frequencies they play outside of 7-Eleven that only teens can hear to drive them away. And maybe they think that that's what this album is, that somehow those of us who are no longer teenagers can hear and appreciate this pop music. But is there anything worth saying to an argument that dumb? <laughs> it's kind of mind-blowing that anybody is still thinking of music in terms of when somebody was born. That battle seems to have been lost sometime in the last century. It's... You know, completely ridiculous. It's a proven fact that all the world's biggest Joni Mitchell fans were born after 1990. That's just, you know, just a proven fact. The idea of music is being tied into a specific historical period that you're born into, and that's the music that you're chained to for life. It's completely ridiculous. But the idea that only a teenager could get into Olivia Rodrigo is is completely ridiculous, especially considering that, you know, the best song on the album is her arguing with her boyfriend over who was the first one to be into a 1983 Billy Joel song. Number two, Adele's 30. There ain't no gold 
And it's sort of like, oh, come on, Rolling Stone, you got to put the Adele album near the top every time. And even I, before I hit play, was just like, can she do it again? Are we going to be sick of this? And no, we're not sick of it. And yes, she did it again. Well, it's a great album. Something about Adele. She makes records when she's got the great songs together. She has no incentive at all to, to do a half-assed Adele record. And something amazing, especially considering the challenge she said at the very beginning of naming the albums after the year when the age that she was when, when she wrote the songs. It's just almost like a completely absurdly ambitious thing to do at the beginning of your career. Like you're going to be able to keep this series going. But she made a hell of a Turning 30 record. That's a record that's not tied to, you know, to Turning 30 at the moment. There's a lot of uh, universal and intense emotional turbulence going on in that record. And it's certainly not a record where you're like, oh, she didn't really go there. You know, this stuff was going on in her life. But, you know, she didn't quite address it. It's very much not that record. It's her longest record. It's her most epic record. Something I love about Adele, Hello, which, you know, we just dropped our countdown of the greatest Adele songs ever, you know, like masterminded by, by Britney Spanos, our, our resident Adele expert. But Britney Spanos just ranked this list of all 60 Adele songs and Hello is at the top. And I love that Hello is at the top because it's got my favorite Adele line where she says, oh, it's so typical of me to make this all about myself. But that's something we love about her is, you know, her album about turning 30. It's not all that different from turning 25 or turning 21, which is that she's got a lot of problems. And indeed, it's typical of her to make them all about herself. And that's the beauty of her artistry. Tyler, the creators call me if you get lost. It's a guy who is part of altering hip hop beyond perhaps the recognition of some 90s hip hop fans, re-embracing some of the tropes of hip hop, even getting DJ drama to kind of host it. And it's near the top of our list. Great album. Talk about a figure that, you know, nobody would have seen the trajectory that uh, his career has taken over the past 15 years, it's really strange to think of how it seemed like he had a, a specific kind of thing at the beginning that he's just really expanded. But this is a really sort of historically well-rounded kind of album. It really reaches back to the past, not in a bad way. Lucy Dacus, home video, and we had her on the podcast, and it was clear right away that it was one of the best albums of the year. And There's nothing wildly innovative in the sound. She got there just by pure excellent songwriting the songs are just that good Being back here makes me hot in the face hot blood in my pulsing veins heavy memories yeah it's like she took night shift from her last album and said why don't i just do this for an entire album i loved historian it was it was my one of my top favorite records of of that particular year and it's particularly particularly exciting to see an artist who keeps evolving, keeps mutating, and uh, and keeps expanding uh, the way Lucy Dacus has. And you know these songs are just completely phenomenal. It's the kind of album where you know people just love to argue over what the best song on it is, even though it's quite obviously Triple Dog Dare. I'm not angry at people who insist it's VBS instead. I, I merely I feel sorry for them that they're. Missing out on the grandeurs of Triple Dog Dare. Go into the five and dime. The only open place. 
it's just a jam-packed album. I think what, what it has in common, actually with both uh, Olivia and Adele, is this thing of finding the universal in the very, very particular. It digs into her childhood and little spats from her teenage years. She and I talked about this, just these, these small little incidents that she wove into artistic magic. Yeah, it's a great record. She is a, a storyteller who is very candid in terms of personal details, but, but also, I mean, she, she's just so funny and always is and always has been. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Lil Nas X, Montero. I caught it bad just today. You hit me with a call to your place. Ain't been out in a while anyway. Was hoping I could catch Few people have come f- from the status of, oh, you might be a one-hit wonder, and then reach such heights. It's very tough to overcome a hit like Old Town Road. He's done so with incredible style. And talk about blurring the lines. This is a pop album. I don't think any other category really captures. Your second or third favorite member of Oasis in mine, Liam Gallagher. He posted a rant this morning online that nowadays everybody wants to be an artist. Nobody wants to be a rock and roll star. That's the trouble with music. And like, it's something I love about Lil Nas X. Boy, this guy wants to be a rock and roll star. And he is. And with Old Town Road, he proved himself just a... A, a top-notch avant-garde conceptualist of pop music and its history. And something he does on Montero is he does that over the course of an album so masterfully that it's really weird to think that this is his debut album, like three years after his hit. You know, he's a very methodical artist that way. I'll repeat myself, but it does seem like an album, if the only prior music ever released were 808s and Heartbreak and Hey Ya by Outkast, you would have a, a large percentage of the DNA of this album. And Don't forget Britney's Blackout. There's a lot of Britney Spears musically in this record. I love that. And you know what? If, if all we had was Britney Spears' Blackout, 808s and Heartbreak, and Hey Ya... I, you know, I could live with that for quite some time. <laughs> like, if that was all music history, like I could deal with it. And some of these other ones we talk about with other people. Let's talk about Turnstile. Head, 
I love it. Could it come out in 85 or 95 or 05? And it would, it, it, it would have that same power. It's something that I, I, I really love. It's also, it's a rock and roll record. It's also very much a rock record. It's very big hearted and uplifting in a way that uh, I really enjoyed. I kept waiting for the songs to sort of take their tragic turn and they didn't. These were like, you know, really for lack of a better word. And this is a really big lack of a better word, but positive. These are really positive songs. It's a song that makes your day better. And it's, it, I mean, the whole album, it's, it's, it's very much key toward that. And that's not without like sliding the, the, the large amount of emotional ground covered on this album, but the energy of it is very, very affirming. And at number 10, another indie rock genius, Japanese Breakfast Jubilee. The artist behind Japanese Breakfast is essentially Michelle Zauner. Always a, a great songwriter. I became a fan, I guess, five years ago when she put out the album Psychopomp, which was a really brilliant record, very much like saturated in grief, the kind of grief that she writes about in her new book, Crying in H Mark. And the same kind of like grieving a personal loss, a family loss. And there's something about, you know, Psychopomp, she sort of turned to therapy for this like really like synth saturated 80s sound very cure sounding record and this one it's it's very much got the same musical trappings but there's something lighter about the the musical tone it's almost like she set out on purpose like look i can write some happy songs and and almost like she set out on purpose to write happy pop songs and yet they end up very frequently sad now i know you love to hell with it the debut mixtape by pink panthers god i love that record Pink Panther is like, talk about like a really brilliant songwriter and brilliant conceptualist who has this idea that would have seemed absolutely outlandish. Like imagine going back in time a few years ago and saying, you know what people will be really into in 2021 is taking one minute or one minute and 10 second long snippets of drum and bass and like and singing their breakup poetry over it. And that was, you know, the sound of the summer, you know, in, in, for a lot of reasons. But Pink Panther is somebody who became a sensation on TikTok and actually like wrote actual songs that are really just like a minute, a minute 10, a minute 20, you know, like when she's feeling really epic, she might approach the, the, the big two colon OO, but she is using uh, samples of stuff like, you know, Supreme Female Attitude and Adam F, which in the UK is considered sort of the pop edge of drum and bass, but this is the USA. There is no pop edge of drum and bass. And it's really like kind of astounding that, you know, this musical language is, is uh, so right and so contemporary and so perfect for right now. And how about Hall of Fame by Polo G? Man, Polo G, I love that record. That guy's a rock star, right? I love how this is his breakout. He's, it's not the first rapper to do this, where it's like his breakout record and the, the record that he makes knowing it's going to be his big breakthrough pop hit. And he's already at the more money, more problems phase. And it, there's something about the sort of the downcast introspection of this record that, that makes it really sort of uh, emotionally engaging. And one more, what's your take on Billie Eilish's Happier Than Ever? I felt that one was really low on the list. But that the Billie Eilish record, what a phenomenal follow-up album. 
you know, she very much did not make more of the same. And people were really sort of taken aback by how much adult and late adolescent pain there was on this record. It was much more downbeat than people wanted. I think a lot of people expected her to keep being, you know, America's sassy, green-haired little sister. And there's something kind of beautiful about the way that she expanded as a songwriter in ways where, you know, she was sort of learning as she went along and yet writing these like incredibly cathartic, incredibly powerful, incredibly epic breakup songs. I think that's a record that will really sound even better a couple of years down the line. And to talk about some of her picks for the best albums of the year, I'm going to bring on Rolling Stone's own Jalisa Lopez. Welcome. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't we start with Vice Versa, which is the breakthrough album from Raul Alejandro. It was pretty unexpected because Raul Alejandro actually released um, his debut album, Afrodisiaco, earlier in the year. And that was a lot of old school reggaeton. It was, you know, maybe what he's done in the past in, in some ways. And then he totally switched things up for for this album. You have just all of these different sounds, even just on one, you know, there, there's some tracks where he's flipping in and out of genres and, and there are these like beat switches and he's playing with, you know, everything from bolero to Brazilian funk to there's a drum and bass song that I think is probably my favorite on the album. And it's just really kind of unexpected and weird. And, and I think pushing reggaeton in, in, in a new direction that I think is really exciting. Do you want to maybe pick out a few specific tracks for us? Definitely. So I think the one that we kind of couldn't escape this summer was Todo de Ti, which is this kind of 80s inspired. I mean, it's not even reggaeton. I mean, it's a, it's a pop song. Yeah, weirdly, on some level, just purely musically, it's not all that different from what BTS have done with their recent 80s inspired hits. Oh, 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 oh. I've talked to Raul a little bit about that song, and, and he said that it's inspired by, you know, everything from, from Bruno Mars to, you know, sounds from the 80s. And so um, it's a really, really cool song. But I think what I appreciate about it is that, you know, it's the first song, it's it kicks off the album. And then the album sort of midway through moves into a darker direction. And, and I mentioned one of my favorites is the song called Guando Fue, which is a drum and bass track that he worked on with the producer Tiny, who Tiny is, you know, pretty much the, the sound architect of, of contemporary reggaeton. And it's this kind of dark, brooding breakup ballad. And then, you know, kind of right into it, it explodes just into drum and bass. And easily, this is probably the song that I've played the most this year. So Vice Versa is our number three album of the year. So maybe take us through who Alejandro is, where he came from, because it, this is quite a breakthrough for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Raul Alejandro, it's, it's funny. He, he's been, you know, working, you know, making music kind of even before, I think, he, he's contemporaries with Bad Bunny, and they, they were kind of making music on, on SoundCloud kind of around the same time. And it's funny, you know, Bad Bunny, I think, broke through first and in this global huge way. But Raul Alejandro's kind of been there the whole time just trying to you know, have things take off. And he's somebody who's really embraced R&B and reggaeton. He's, he's embraced more of a, a kind of a performance showmanship side. You know, if you go to his concert, he dances and that's something you haven't really seen in reggaeton before. And then I think this is, was just the year where everything lined up. He had this, you know, this debut album, Afrodisiaco, that did really well. And then I think he, you know, it was kind of a one-two punch where he he delivered that and then delivered this other album that was a completely different side of, of what he can do. And it just worked out really well for him. 
let's maybe go through some of your other favorite albums of the year. Absolutely. So I think, it, you know, it actually was a really tough call. You know, the, the Rao album is so good. But the other sort of breakout this year was Citangana's album. El Madrileño Citangana is a Spanish artist who early on in his, his career, he was making more sort of trap style music that follows, you know, there, there's a pretty big trap scene in Spain. He also worked really closely with Rosalía on her breakthrough album at Malquerer. And, you know, his sound has always been a little bit more, you know, he, he raps and it's kind of been a more pop sound. And then he started working on this album that he calls sort of a weird creative leap of faith where he began exploring more folk and traditional sounds from Spain and from Latin America. And he just pulled together this kind of crazy cast of characters, you know, the contemporary artists, a lot of veterans in the music scene. So on it, there's everybody from Omar Apollo, who, you know, does R&B music, Jose Feliciano, Ed Maverick, the Gypsy Kings, and really put together this album that is just kind of a bizarre, but really, really beautiful exploration of, of you know, folk sounds meeting contemporary And sounds. what songs would you point us to there? Yeah, I think I think my favorite on this album is probably he teamed up with the veteran rocker Andre Calamaro, and he did the song Hong Kong that is just so good. It's a kind of a strange one. It's got, you know, more of a sort of a signature rock sound, but I think you can kind of hear the modern influences on it too. I also really loved Maviland, who is a, a rapper from Colombia, rapper and singer. I saw her years ago at a stereo picnic in, in Bogota. I think it's probably like 2019 or so. And she was just phenomenal. She's a black queer rapper who is an amazing, amazing lyricist. She writes these really vulnerable songs and she's just kind of a jack of all trades who can do it all. She sings, she raps, she writes. And I think on this album, um, Niño Roto, She's playing with a lot of sort of neo-soul sounds and it just feels really fresh and it's just such a such a great album and I think a great moment for her. It's actually funny because some of the, I think lyrically, it reminds me a little bit of another one of my favorite albums this year, which is the Arlo Parks Collapsed in Sunbeams, which is, you know, just an amazing debut from from her. And I, yeah, I don't know. I think there's something in the in the air where I was just like really attracted to a lot of people who kind of are coming from a singer songwriter tradition. Yeah, and I think on the on the Maviland album, there's a song called "Wow" that is really really good, and it kind of moves more in a in a trap direction that I think is really cool. It's almost a ridiculous question given the actual scope of what Latin music means, but since you cover so much Latin music for us, I was wondering if you could kind of look back at the year and just what trends did you see, what surprises did you see, what's the overall picture like, and again, totally unfair question. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really hard. It, I think when we talk about Latin music, right, we're talking about like dozens of different countries and genres and sounds. And it's obviously, you know, there's so much happening all the time. But I do think that, you know, this year, what was really cool and what I was really happy to see was just the way that I, I feel like, and, you know, we can talk, this is happening, you know, all over pop music, but just artists just kind of trying these weird blends of of sounds and, and fusing things together that don't really seem like they should be together. I mean, the Rao Alejandro album is, is a really great example of that. You know, on that album, you know, there's, you know, Bolero and 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 electronic sounds. Jay Cortez did that on, on his album Timeless, which is also on our top albums of the year list. 
so yeah, I, I really think it was it was exciting in that I think people were trying to make up new things and 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 get away from genres in, in a lot of ways. Looking at the rest of our list, I know you love the Snail Mail album. And she is, of course, one of the great young rock singer-songwriters out there right now. And she's back. Yeah, she's back. I've missed her. I'm from kind of the D.C. Maryland area. Snail Mail's from Baltimore, so I've followed her career for a really long time. And, you know, her Lush, her, her first album was just so kind of vulnerable and, and, and open-hearted. And it's kind of, you know... I think if you're somebody that loved that album a lot, it's hard to imagine following it up. But here I just feel like she, you know, she's not only like exploring and, and kind of discovering new sounds, but her writing's kind of as sharp and, and insightful as ever, I think. Yeah, so on that album I loved, I mean, Ben Franklin is so good. Kind of a unexpected synthy turn for Snail Mail. Yeah, I kind of love that she went right into the unexpected synthy turn on her second album. Why wait, you know? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> exactly. We're talking about the best albums of 2021, and I wanted to bring on Rolling Stone's own Manca Percante to talk about her favorite albums of the year. And we're going to start with Jasmine Sullivan's Hotels, and that's H-E-A-U-X, Tales, by the way. Oh my gosh. So Hotels was really the first album I was listening to in 2021. I had it a little bit before it released, you know, Music Journalist Privileges. And I was obsessed with it from the very beginning. And I think even from the start of it, the intro, Bodies, she's just twisting and trilling and piling the word bodies like on top of it itself in this really interesting, beautiful way. And she's just so emotive in her singing. That combined with the premise of this album, which is women's relationship with sex and love and themselves works together. There's just there's a beautiful union there between the way that she's able to emote in her singing and how emotional the context of the album is. One of the things that's really so great about her in this album is, she, you know, she's been around for a while. She's been a working artist since she was like 15. And this is a real triumph. Maybe just take it back a little bit and tell us about her career, which has had a pretty unique path. Yeah. So my first experience with Jasmine Sullivan was with her album Fearless. And it was actually one of the first concerts that I ever went to. I saw her at the University of Delaware in some like small auditorium. And even then she was such a powerhouse performer. I remember she has this song called Switch on that album. That's about going on a date with one man and realizing that she wants to date his friend. Hey boy, I think I like your best friend. Would you She dances on like a security guard during the concert when she's performing that song. Like I remember that so vividly. And so she's released, her albums are always very theatrical. I think someone in her family, maybe her mom, if I'm not mistaken, is like a writer. And so she's always had this really beautiful ability to create characters on her work. But I think Hotels is just exemplary in the storytelling, in the way that she inhabits different women and different women's relationship and their contrasting relationships with love and lust and self. So I think of her discography, Hotels is definitely the triumph. 
it's such a, a great and rich and sometimes hilarious album. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that she was able to bring in some of the other most incredible women in R&B, not only just women in her life, you know, like friends and family members telling their stories in these interludes in between each of the songs, but Ari Lennox, her duet with Ari Lennox on it is so scandalous and so beautiful at the same time. And then her duet with her, you know, is like heartbreaking. And I was actually just tweeted that it's really like a player hating song because she's talking about like how quote unquote hoes like win in the game of love or in the game of relationships, particularly I think with men. So I just talked about On It with Ari Lennox. That's incredible, but it's earnest, it's honest. She says uncomfortable things that a lot of women have experienced or thought themselves. And earlier I had mentioned Bodies, which is the intro, and I think is just like a phenomenal gateway into this world. Get it together, bitch. You don't know you went home and we went home with again. Was your friend? Those are definitely my three favorites. But of course, Lost One is so heartbreaking where it's you're the person who's fucked up the relationship. And that perspective, I think, is is unique, the way that she embodies it. And then the interlude before it, where it is a woman, a queer woman, talking about losing the love of her life after sleeping with the love of her life's best friend. So you still feel so much sympathy for this person, even though they've done something really awful. Pretty high on our list is an EP from Thames, who also, of course, has our song of the year, with Wizkid in essence. But the EP is If Orange Was a Place, and it's incredibly melodic and beautiful. I mean, Thames, I think, took the world by storm this year. You know, we ran a feature on her calling her the future. And I think it's because no one sounds like Thames. You know, her voice is so earthy, it's deep, it's warm, it's vulnerable, but still strong. And so this EP was like kind of a departure from her first project for Broken Ears in that like it's like the title sort of insinuates it, it's warmer. There's some levity to it. But across the album, you know, the ideas of happiness about being treated well and being treated with respect are still handled with an air of seriousness, even though the music is much more danceable and lively. One of my favorite songs on it is called Replay, and it. I think about it in contrast to another one of her phenomenal records um, called Free Mind, where on Free Mind, which is on her EP for Broken Ears, she's like yearning for freedom and escape. And on this song, Replay, it sounds like she found it. So get me lit on a weekday. I'm on the way, I'm a ways on a display. And I'm a shut them all down on a I wanted to mention Guilty Beats, who produced this whole EP and did like such an amazing job on it also sort of someone to watch in their own right guilty beats yeah he produced most of it and yeah i mean guilty beats has been and like the maybe like the more like western radar since beyonce's the gift he was a producer on that project but he's really incredible he has great work of his own 
as like a lead producer and like an album of his own called Different that I really enjoyed in 2020. And so, yeah, I think them together because Temps produced her first project herself for the most part. And so her opening up and working with another producer, I think really uh, brought something great out of her. Guilty Beats did four out of the five tracks. Correct myself, uh, but still (laughs) strong showing from Guilty Beats with those four out of five songs. Absolutely. Um, So... Let's talk about Dawn Richards' second line. She's a fascinating artist, and this is a fascinating album. She is. I think that Dawn has had such an interesting trek through the music industry, you know, first coming onto the scene in the mainstream as a member of Danity Kane, winning her spot in that girl group through making the band with Diddy, to branching out as uh, an artist in a group with Diddy, Diddy Dirty Money, and then finally as like really establishing herself as a solo artist. And so Second Line, one of the interesting things about it is it plays a lot of different roles in telling her story. So at the forefront, It's an ode to New Orleans and New Orleans sound culture, right? There's bounce music on it. You can hear the influence of the music that surrounded her when she was a young person growing up there. But it's also more widely an exploration of just like Black music, you know, like house music, a little bit of hip hop. Of course, she's an incredible singer. So you get the essence of R&B. But then I think on another level, lyrically, it's sort of like this exploration of her really beautiful and tragic experience in the music industry and not tragic as though she has not like done incredible things but it's been hard on her and I think that a lot of love is like both beautiful and difficult at the same time Um, and I think that all of those things are really encapsulated really well on second line and it just bops like it sounds really good it's hard to sort of underemphasize this is someone who, like you said, came from Danity Kane, came from this sort of manufactured pop group with Diddy, and is now making like really avant-garde music, actually. This is not like mainstream pop. Like Some of this is really fascinatingly out there, what she's doing now. It's, it's quite a, a leap. Yeah, there's a part on the album where she says, I am the genre, and I'm like... That is such a beautiful way to put it. And it's not that she's the only artist that believes that they're like blurring the lines of musical genres, but I think that she really does it in a way that is unique and is satisfying. One of my favorite songs on the project is called Pressure. And it sounds like an electronic song and a dance song and a pop song and an R&B song all at once. So let's talk about Mustafa's When Smoke Rises, which is eight songs long, this fascinating sort of acoustic folky thing that is a lot about this sort of loss of some of his friends to violence, um, but with a sound that... I, you know, I'd almost compare it, there's echoes of, of Tracy Chapman almost, and I know his influences range from like Joni Mitchell to to Nick Drake, just a very, very unique artist and a, and a great, unique album. I don't know, actually, it falls somewhere between album and EP, I guess, but I, we'll call it an album. Yeah, I mean, and about it like falling between album and EP, I don't think they ever called it anything. I think they just released it. But I mean, it's like Jasmine's project was not technically an album. And I think that 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 is a continuity between the two of them, that there are these incredible bodies of work that almost elevate what an album is, yet they weren't called that. But yeah, I mean, When Smoke Rises is gorgeous, but also devastating at the same time. Um, Like you said, he's exploring grief and loss. 
And I talked about this a little bit in my review for Rolling Stone that what he does is he approaches his community, his like poor black immigrant community in Canada with a gentleness that I think that governments don't treat those communities with, that our language doesn't usually treat those communities with. And I think that he allots them softness in his storytelling. And it's a easy listen sonically, but a very, very difficult listen lyrically. One of my favorite songs on there is What About Heaven? Pretty girls that have the fashion The words that we say if we walk past them Our lives are not odd and how we would And on that song, he's concerned about it sounds like he's concerned about a friend that has passed that maybe missed out on conversations with him or with others about what the afterlife means about what it means to die and what it means to die young and all the the things like chasing girls and hanging out with your boys that you miss when you when your life is ended early and so mustafa himself is a muslim and so the way that the song engages with ideas of faith is really powerful and really heartbreaking at the same time. And finally, let's hit Summer Walker Still Over It. So Still Over It is high on my list for me, really because of a handful of songs that are really incredible in an era where albums can be overloaded. To be able to still have enough songs that make the project worthwhile, I think is very special. And I think that what's really special about Summer is the way that she is able to gently and really carefully exude hurt in her songwriting and in her singing. And so one of my favorite songs on this album, and the one the reason why it's really so high up on this list for me, is Fourth Baby Mama. I don't get it, is you trying to keep up with Doug? Is you raising him? Crazy how you really think that shit's cute. It's like the last song on the album, and she comes for this man's neck. Like, so most people are familiar with Summer Walker's uh, tumultuous relationship with the producer London on the track. It, it can be assumed that that's who this song is written about because on it, she talks about a man who is a clout addict, who is trying to beat Young Thug in a race to have as many kids as possible, and who abandoned her during her own pregnancy. And so she really is just like standing her power, I think, by naming all the things that's wrong with this man, what he, how he's harmed her, and also how his mother might have enabled him. Uh, it's just like, she's letting the chopper spray. Like, everybody is getting a piece of summer on this song. And um, I think it really is emblematic of her as, a, as an artist, the way that she can channel hurt, the way that she can exude pain, and the way that she can really, like, grip you as she does it. And that is our show for today. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's Volume, Channel 106. In the meantime, don't forget Rolling Stone Music Now is a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. That's always appreciated. Or at least just click five stars. Equally appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Welcome.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.